What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the College Game Time Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Smith. We are the fastest growing show for the American Athletic Conference. We are also starting to dabble in to other G5 conferences and even Power 5 conferences. I, I feel like um, the, the audience of this show is very diverse beyond just AAC fans. I very much appreciate that. And uh, we're just going to keep on climbing as high as we can go. And... Um, Got some exciting things on the horizon, so just hang in there with me, and um, uh, let's let's keep growing this show and this channel together. Um, today, I'm going to give you a full preview of the AAC lineup. I'm also going to give you the linear coverage numbers, as I said I would do every week. Um, again, with the disclaimer that I understand that we'll really get the tell We'll really get a good picture of who has the most linear exposure come conference play. Uh, that was a discussion we were having a lot during the realignment talks and earlier in August whenever I was using one of the sale, one of the selling points for the American conference is their linear exposure compared to other G5s. So we'll continue to see what that looks like as the year plays out. Um, and then, yeah, I'm going to go through, I'm going to go through every game on this show. But I'm going to spend a little more time on some of the key games. Um, and uh, yeah, so before I get into it, if you're watching on YouTube, you know what to do. Uh, like, subscribe, comment at the end, share it with a friend. If you're listening on one of the streaming platforms, please leave a five-star rating. And if you feel compelled to do so, write a positive review. I would greatly appreciate that, especially if you're on Apple Podcast. Um, so... Um, and then, of course, I meant to say it at the top of the show, but happy Friday. We are less than 24 hours away from another college football Saturday. Well, with that being said, let's look at the lineup for the American Conference this week. The 11 a.m. slate, we have got SMU-TCU in the Iron Skillet game. We've got Tulsa and NIU. Okay, Tulsa-NIU, here's all I'll say on that. I hope Tulsa finds a rhythm gets the win. Let's see some of that explosiveness we saw in week one out of the offense. And really, like, they they need this game to get some confidence going into conference play. If they drop this game at NIU, this might be a long season for Tulsa. But I think if they can get the win, I'm not sure what the latest is on Braylon Braxton. I, I couldn't find anything on that. I know they've been cycling through quarterbacks between Cardell Williams and the other guy. I don't even know his name who's getting been getting reps. Uh, Braxton's been out with an ankle injury. So we'll see what this Tulsa team looks like against NIU. But the key game during this 11 a.m. slate, the one that will be on my TV is this SMU-TCU game. Uh, I'm all in on SMU winning it. I, uh, I just think they're going to get it done this year. I think they have the team that can do it. I think it's going to be a hard-fought game. I know I was like entertaining the idea earlier this week that maybe SMU would come out and win it convincingly. I've changed that tune a little bit. As I've thought about it, as I've, you know, as we get closer to it, I think it's going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be a high scoring game. This is a rivalry game. The fan bases hate each other. They're constantly arguing with each other over whose daddy has more money. And I'm here for it. Uh, as it pertains to the American Conference, for the sake of the future of the conference, SMU running the table and winning before they go to the ACC wouldn't be the best case because then everyone would say, yeah, see, you lost your other good team or whatever, kind of like they do with Cincinnati. 
in, in UCF. But um, as far as keeping the streak alive for that New Year's Six bid, SMU is one of those teams we need to keep winning. This is a key game for them to win. Uh, it's a Power 5 opponent. And yeah, like I said, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to come down to who has the ball last. I like SMU's quarterback. I like Preston Stone over Chandler Morris. And um, yeah, who has the ball last or who can, who can force that, that opportune turnover or get that stop at the critical point in the game? That's what I think this one comes down to. It pretty much comes down to that, it feels like, every year anyways, recently. Okay, moving on to the afternoon slate. So the afternoon slate will get kicked off on ESPN2. We'll have Miami at Temple. Mm. All right, Temple fans, here's the thing. I feel like this game is going to be similar to the Rutgers game. And what I mean by that is it's like Temple will, will, will get down early, but they're not going to get down so bad that they're – there's no hope. I think they're just going to hang around, hang around, hang around. And then there's going to come that point either late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, where either the wheels are going to completely fall off or Temple's going to be able to make it interesting. Against Rutgers, the wheels just fell off. It's like they hung in there, they hung in there, they hung in there. And then it felt like it was, at least the score was close until it wasn't. Can Temple protect E.J. Warner. Now, I think it was Steven in the comments earlier this week who mentioned that implementing the quick game and the quarterback has to make sure he's getting rid of the ball fast enough. Totally agree with that. But man, just even on those drop back pressures, it seems like E.J. is running for his life, having to extend the play with his legs and then find his receiver in a scramble drill. So can they get a running game going? I feel good about Temple's defense. Now, Miami's offense has been playing really well. But, unfortunately, I don't know that Temple wins this game because I think they hang around, hang around, hang around, and then either the wheels are going to fall off or Temple's going to keep it interesting. And if it's like Rutgers, I think the wheels could fall off on this one and Miami ends up getting the win. But crazier things can happen. Uh Miami is at Temple. I think I said that. I don't know if I said that right earlier. Um, if I said that backwards, my apologies. But this game is at Temple in that 2.30 time slot. Uh, next game, Florida Atlantic, FAU at Illinois. I, I think this could end up being a repeat of the Ohio game for FAU. I think FAU is actually going to have – they might have more athleticism than Illinois, but Illinois is going to be the more physical team. And – which team is most prepared and uh, who is more well coached? This could end up being a deal where FAU keeps it close or maybe they jump out to an early lead. And just kind of like Ohio, is there going to be a drive or something that happens right before half or right coming out in the second half? They call it that middle eight where it's the last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half, I think the middle eight is going to be what determines this game between FAU and Illinois, whether that's a special teams play, whether that's a big defensive play, whether that's an explosive offensive play. Something I think will happen in that middle eight, kind of like it did against Ohio, where it ends up 
moving the needle on how this game plays out. I think FAU can win this game, but I don't think they do. Next, we got UTSA, uh, yeah, UTSA, Tennessee at Tennessee. Frank Harris is still questionable. Here's my thoughts, Roadrunners fans. Uh, in order to pull off an upset against Tennessee, I feel like you're going to have to play solid defense, but in order to do so, you're going to have to establish long drives, long, sustainable drives. The problem is with this backup quarterback, he's not a long, sustainable drives type of QB based off what I've seen. He's most effective when UTSA is going tempo and taking shots. That seems to be his game, and he played very well at that game last week against Army. I don't think that style of offensive football is a good formula for UTSA to beat Tennessee. Now, let's see what game plan they come out with. If they're able to establish their run game and get that thing going, it seems like UTSA just really hasn't been able to get their run game going like they've been able to the past couple of years. Um, but with this quarterback, man, like he's got an arm. And at least against Army, that offense looked most efficient and most effective when they were taking shots and having explosive plays. Now, I'm not saying not to have any explosive plays. I'm just saying if you're going more tempo, you're taking shots, you're trying to push the ball downfield, trying to put points on the board, I think that's your most effective offense around the backup. I don't think that's the most effective strategy when it comes to beating Tennessee. We'll see how this plays out. I also think it's probably smart to rest Frank Harris so he's ready for conference play, assuming he'll be 100% health for conference play. I haven't thrown the towel in on UTSA for this season yet. Um, it concerns me, though, if they lose this weekend, if they were to become a contender in conference play because a three-loss conference champion is not going to get that New Year's Six bid. But let's go one week at a time. Let me know what your thoughts are if you're a UTSA fan. I, I'm just... I just feel like the, the, the style of football that best suits the backup quarterback is not the style of football that's going to be most effective in trying to upset Tennessee at Tennessee. All right, moving on. We've got Rice at South Florida, USF. This game on ESPNU. Listen, this is the conference game of the week. I want to know if this Rice team is for real. I want to know if this USF team found its identity a week ago against Bama because uh, JT Daniels, the quarterback for Rice, who's been from USC to Georgia to uh, West Virginia, now at Rice, like he's been cooking since week two, these past couple weeks. Uh, the USF defense seems like they found their identity against Bama. Byron Brown, quarterback for USF, he's been incrementally improving each week. In fact, the whole team seems to be improving each week under Golish. So what do we have here? Like, that's still the question mark. Who is USF? Who is Rice? I feel like this is an identity game for both teams, and I think it could really impact the trajectory of each team's season. Now, do I think you am I ready to crown USF a, a contender right now? No, not yet. And even if they win this game against Rice, I'm not ready to say they're a contender, but I think it could be the difference in them being a, you know, four to seven win season or a seven to nine win season. 
Rice, on the other hand, this could be the game that catapults them into the conference contender conversation officially. I mean, if you look at their schedule, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, I said, tell me they can't win their next five. Tell me they can't be five and one going into that two-lane matchup. Well, this is a game you got to win to be in that position. I think they can win. I think their offense has found its rhythm. I think their defense has been playing better each week as they've gone. In fact, they played Texas. Um, they played Texas's offense just as good as Bama played Texas's offense. You've got USF who who played Bama's uh, uh, almost more competitively. Um, um, not more competitively, but they 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 competed with Bama. What am I trying to say here? USF was more competitive against Bama than Rice was against Texas. And I know when you start getting into the whole transitive property, trying to see how good teams are, it's it's kind of pointless. But that's the fact. Both teams are battle tested. Both teams um, have shown improvement from week one. I think this is going to be a heck of a matchup. I think Rice wins by a field goal. Uh, next game, sorry. Okay, so next two, Gardner, Gardner-Webb at ECU. ECU, you got to get your dub here. This has to be the week. You break the ice. You get your win. And hopefully find your identity offensively or at least find a rhythm, something that you can hang your hat on going into next week. Like That would be my goal. If I'm ECU... What can we hang our hat on offensively? Like, what can we find that we do really well this weekend, tomorrow, that we can hang our hat on next week in preparation for the next game? Which is actually against, let's see, they're not off next week, are they? No, they've got Rice, yeah, who, who has a good defense. So, yeah, this is a game, ECU, you need to find something offensively you can hang your hat on. Charlotte at Florida. Yeah, I I mean, Charlotte needs to play hard. I don't see them being competitive in this game. And, you know, this is not the position Poji wanted to be in. I don't know what he's doing with the staff. I know what he's been saying in his press conferences. But, yeah, I don't don't know. I guess guess for these next two I'm talking about, uh, you know, UAB at Georgia and Charlotte at Florida. UAB at Georgia is in the evening slate. Charlotte at Florida. Oh, no. They're in the evening slate, too. Yeah, so sorry. ECU Gardner-Webb starts the evening slate for um, AAC play. So UAB at Georgia, Charlotte at Florida. Here's what I'm saying. Get out of the game healthy. Fight hard. Don't quit. Stay healthy. That's all I'm saying to those two teams. Fight hard. Don't quit, stay healthy. And then get yourself ready for conference play. Then you got Nichols at Tulane. I think Tulane rolls. Michael Pratt is back. Hopefully he's back, back, and he's fully healthy. And hopefully this game is a blowout. So, you know, well, hopefully he's not in the game in late in the fourth quarter up 20, okay, like he was against South Alabama. So, Hopefully, he, but it'd be a nice little tune-up for him because who do they've got? Who do they have coming up? Um, well, they've got UAB, and then they're at Memphis. But they've got a few weeks because they've got their bye week. So, yeah, so let's just let them kind of ease him back in. 
Let's ease Michael Pratt back in, make sure he's 100% game healthy, get back into his rhythm. And then finally, to cap off the AAC slate of games, we've got Missouri-Memphis playing at the Dome in St. Louis, which is painted black and gold. I saw the picture on Twitter that stadium does not look like the stadium I remember the greatest team on the greatest show on turf playing in, assuming that's that same uh, dome. Brady Cook, the Missouri quarterback, is questionable. So we'll see what happens there. But as I said earlier this week, what would concern me about Missouri if I'm a Memphis fan more than the quarterback is the run game. Because Eli Drinkwitz, whether you like him or not, regardless of what you think about him, he is as good as any coach in the country in game planning a good run scheme. He's going to have a good run scheme ready tomorrow evening. Can Memphis stop it? Last week, I gave Memphis a pass because they're facing this offense that's different. They were on a short week. Did they miss a lot of tackles? Yes. Did they look misaligned and out of position at times? Yes. I chalked that up to playing Navy on a short week. The question mark I've had on Memphis's defense since the beginning of the season, since before the beginning of the season, was can they stop the run this year? If they could stop the run this year, they're going to be one of the best defenses in the country. Now's the, now's, there's no better time than now to get that done. But with all that being said, I still don't think it's the Memphis defense that's going to be the X factor and whether or not they pull off this, uh, what's considered an upset. I think this game comes down to Seth Hennigan. Seth Hennigan is going to have to go win this game for Memphis. What do I mean when I say that? I don't foresee this being a game that Hennigan can just be a good game manager. You know, not turn the ball over, get the ball to, to, to some athletes in space and let them make plays or, or get your run game going. No, I, I believe that for Memphis to win this game, like Seth Hennigan's going to have to go make some plays to win this game. Like some, I'm putting the team on my back, let's go get a score right now type of drives, type of moments. And I think we're going to learn a lot about him. Like, is he that dude? Is he that guy? Or is he just a good quarterback? Is he a guy that's going to go win you an important game against uh, uh, as an underdog against a Power 5 SEC opponent? Or is he just a good quarterback? Because I'm not going to take that away from him. Like, the kid's a baller. He's good. But is he that guy that you can give the ball, you can give the ball to and say, go win it? You know, last week, obviously, what was the story of, of the week? It was, it was the Colorado, Colorado State, right? Now, most people thought Colorado was going to roll Colorado State. They almost got upset, but in the end of that game, Shador Sanders put the team on his back and went and won that game. He refused to be denied. I feel like this is a game we might have to see some of those flashes of Seth Hennigan in order for Memphis to get the upset over Missouri. And if they get the upset and they go 4-0, I think they are in the top 25. And then they'll have a lot of confidence going into that Boise matchup. And yeah, I, you know what? I'll go ahead and put it on record. I think Memphis wins this game. I've been saying that. I think they have the ingredients. I think they have the talent. I think player for player, they, they, they have what they need. Uh, the question is, though, man, I'm giving the coaching edge to Missouri. Just straight up. I'm giving the coaching edge to Missouri. 
I'm telling you, Drinkwitz is a brilliant offensive mind. Whether you like him or not, whether you think he's a cornball or not, like the dude can coach some ball. And he's going to have a game plan that is going to give this Memphis defense some fits. So that's why I say, like, Seth Hennigan, you've got to put the team on your back and go win this game for your team. If you're a Memphis fan, let me know your thoughts in the comments. Do you agree? Do you disagree? How are you feeling? Um, and that wraps up the slate of games. And to wrap up this Friday episode, let's look at some linear coverage real quick. So um, Conference USA has two linear games this weekend. The MAC has three. The Sun Belt has four. One of them being last night, which, oh, by the way, Georgia State's looking like the real deal, at least from a G5 standpoint. Here's how Georgia State could make a bid for that New Year's Six Bowl. If they continue to run the table and then they go into Death Valley, LSU, and win that game at LSU. They do that, they're getting that New Year's Six bid. Do I think they're going to do that? No. <laughs> but they're 4-0, I think, for the first time, maybe in school history. And uh, they're rolling right now. But they had theirs last night, was one of them, and then they'll have three tomorrow. The Mountain West Conference has four total games on linear coverage this weekend. Two will be tonight, Friday, and two will be tomorrow. And then the American Conference has a whopping eight games on linear coverage, all of them on Saturday. So, now, is that all due to their contract? No, again, I've said this. A lot of it has to do power five matchups impact the linear coverage in non-conference play. That's why I'll continue to look at these numbers as we get into conference play. But that's it for me today. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Did I forget something? No. Hey, enjoy your college football Saturday tomorrow. Trey Smith, College Game Time. See you Monday. <laughs>